Good morning, church family. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Next week, we will finish Matthew chapter 5. But I am going to have you read it one more week. Uh, Just curious, who has actually read it at least one time each week? All right, all right, very good. There we go. Uh, So make sure you read through Matthew chapter 5. This is what we're going over on a regular basis um, the past couple of weeks, and then we're going through the study of Matthew. When you go to the doctor, you go with symptoms. Is that fair to say? Right, like my foot hurts, or I've got this thing in the back of my neck, and I've got this scratch. And we go to the doctor, and we give them our symptoms. And the doctor will take those symptoms and try to figure out what is causing those symptoms. Because the symptoms are just a, a revelation, a revealing of what's really going on underneath. I go to the chiropractor because I just love going to the chiropractor. And it's so different than anything I've ever, ever thought. And I went and I said, man, I'm having a hard time focusing and thinking. And I have this pain and I'm not really sure what's going on. And oh, it's because you're standing all day. No, it's up here. It's not down there. Well, because of down here, this is all affected. And you give me this underlying reason on why it's going on. So... She put, apparently I had buttons in the back of my head, and she pushed a button in the back of my head, and it went away. And I was like, where's that button? So I don't have to pay you for that. <laughs> where's that button? And she wouldn't tell me. So we, we, we have symptoms. Um, I have, I, we, we all have a symptom uh, called anger. Uh, we, we've been there. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten angry before? Raise your hand. If you don't have your hand up, now you're a liar, okay? So, so we got other issues to deal with for crying out loud. So we all get mad from time to time, and we don't just get mad or upset or frustrated. We get really angry, but anger is a symptom. The underlying cause of it is a condition called selfishness. And I want us to think about that as we're going through a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, because we are all, by the nature of who we are, selfish people. And even if you say to somebody, you're the least selfish person I know, might be true, but they're less than them, which means they still are. They might be the most giving person, but they don't do a very good job of receiving because they don't want it to be right about them, and so they don't understand the dynamics of the relationship, right? Because I don't like that. I don't feel good when that happens. Everything can go back. Uh, what we're going to talk about today has to do with levels of selfishness, and I know. You weren't expecting to talk about that today, but we're going to talk about some different things. Uh, The big idea for today is pretty simple. Following Jesus is different than you think. Following Jesus is different than what you think. We're going to be we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the closest that we have to the Sermon on the Mount in any of the synoptics, the synoptics Matthew, Mark, Luke, is found in Luke chapter six, and it's not even that they they even refer to that more like the Sermon on the Plain, which is kind of weird. I've never heard of that before, but I'm learning, right? I'm just teaching you what I'm learning. And there's snippets of the Sermon on the Mount that are found in Luke chapter six. It doesn't give you the whole layout version of everything that's there. 
there, Matthew is laying out all that they, he could possibly write down of what Jesus said. And so he lays out everything of the Sermon on the Mount that he chose to record. Uh, but nowhere else is it in full uh, swing when it comes to all the writings of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount. So we're writing, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's going through the law. We talked about that. Um, we talked about that last week, about the, about the law and what that looked like and the, the law and the prophets and the writings. And he's continuing a little bit of that. He's continuing some of that as we go through these next couple of uh, these next couple of verses as we're learning about Jesus is not now I thought this for a long time when you go through the Sermon on the Mount wow Jesus is really raising the bar here like this is the way that it was and now here's the way that it is I don't know about that that just seems really hard and come to find out as I'm studying through I don't think Jesus is raising the bar I think he's revealing the way that it's always been because of this is what you were told, but this is the way that it is. See a difference there? It's not that Jesus comes and he's like, okay, so we're just going to turn up the heat on these people, but rather this was the original intent. We'll agree on, we'll agree on the commandment, we'll agree on the law, even the command, but the definition, the interpretation that y'all got from it, this is what it really was going for. This is what it was really written for. It's not only dealing with outward actions. It's not just about what you do. It's about what's going on inside of you. It's about this inward attitude. You may not actually run somebody off the road in road rage, but you spent the next 20 minutes of your commute thinking about how good that would feel. You started thinking about, well, if I did this, they'd never catch me because I'd go here, duck behind. Has no one else ever thought through that? Is I'm the only one. Okay. So we think through these things. What's going on inside of us matters. Oftentimes, what's happening on inside of us can get to the point where it explodes and then becomes the behavior. The behavior is the symptom. The outward action is the symptom. What's really happening, the cause of it all, is what's going on inside. So Jesus is laying out some comparative statements. He actually says six different comparative statements. The, you've heard this, but I'm going to say this. You've heard it said this way. You know your ancestors got this message, but here's what I say. And he's going through these different statements I'm going to walk you through here. There are six of them. I'm going to do three today, and we're going to do three next week, and that'll complete my Matthew chapter 5, and then and, uh, after today and next week, we'll be on our way to Matthew chapter 6. As we begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, we have a series of these six statements. Truth that they were raised with, you can hear that in the language, so you were told this, but here's what I say. And so they, they, they were raised with this statements, maybe not even, not even so much just stuff that they had read within uh, their Hebrew Bible, but rather things that they were told, you know, some sort of oral tradition, things where it was like, it really wasn't the law, but because the Pharisees really loved the law and they loved adding things to the law, these are things that they had heard. This is what you were taught growing up. So truth they were raised with versus what Jesus declares to be actually true. It's much more than just a cute little sermon on the side of a hill, maybe. 
It's much more intense than that. The Sermon on the Mount truly is a mount of a sermon. Now, these six statements, these comparative statements, are illustrations of verse 20. Now, let's, I'm going to read through this one more time so that you can be aware, because we're talking about self-righteousness here in verse 20. Verse 20 says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, which were the scribes, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So, as we said last week, he's stripping away self-righteousness. You literally are hopeless without me. Until you can get to a place where you understand you are literally hopeless without Christ, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will be comforted. For those who mourn over their sin condition, we have to get to that place. You have to get to that place where you understand that you are literally hopeless without Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, we're starting in verse 21 of these comparative statements. And this, these are the illustrations. We'll talk about the first three here about this idea of, I can't do it on my own. Exactly. That's the point. You can't do this on your own. We're going to talk through anger. And uh, we're going to think through what that looks like and then some of the other ones. So let's jump right in. Verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were, uh, were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Fair enough. I won't kill anyone. Ah, but what the original intent was, but what I tell you is if you are even angry with someone, you are subject, that doesn't mean you are automatically, but you are now subjecting yourself to judgment if you call someone an idiot. How many people are in trouble right now? I'll explain that in just a minute. You are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of fires of hell. Jesus is bringing up what we know from uh, Exodus chapter 20, the sixth commandment, right? Thou shalt not kill. And so he's referencing this. That word idiot is really not what we Americans like. You're such an idiot, right? Not quite like that, but a flavor of that. The word in a different translation would actually be the word raka is what they, what they use. It's an Aramaic expression of complete contempt, of an individual, an arrogant statement that would insult the lack of intelligence of a person, believing that they are a real numbskull. Somebody that you would look down upon, that you have complete contempt for. That's the understanding, the heart posture that's happening here. It's not just because you said a word. It's because you believe something inside of you, and then it came out, right? The cause is the stuff that's going on inside of you, the selfishness inside of you. And then the actual words, that's the symptom of what's already going on. So you have somebody here. So if you're looking down, right, raising yourself up above somebody else, that's the issue. You. Jesus agrees with the commandment. He was there when it was written. After all, God said it, right? The problem is the definition that people gave the commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Great. I won't take somebody's life. But I'm going to think about how I would. 
And Jesus says, no, that's, time out. No, that's not what it was meant. Even if you've got this inside, because everything starts on the inside before it goes out. Everything. You think through it, you process it, you plan it, you justify it. And before you know it, you're actually, you're, you're acting out. Now, maybe today you wouldn't actually go as far as to take somebody's life. But I'm willing to bet that you would go as far as you possibly could to make life extremely difficult for them. Uh, Just flat out, let's use as simple terms as we can, be super mean to them. Even to the point of not caring for their needs. Ooh, this is rough, right? Like, okay, so I'm not going to take their life but I'm supposed to be nice to them. Uh, Next week, we'll explore that a little bit more. So if you're presenting a sacrifice, verse 23, at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone else has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. This isn't necessarily that you have an issue with your brother or sister, but you're aware that somebody else has an issue with you. And if you're aware that somebody else has an issue with you, then God says, listen, I'm more interested in, in, in what's going on inside of you than you just acting out these behaviors. I'm more interested in that. If you're aware that somebody has something against you, go and make it right. Figure it out. Walk through it. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. It's interesting that dynamic or that... Uh, Uh, The way that is in order. First go, then come. In school, we're told that the shortest distance uh, between two points is a... Right? That's still true. Spiritually speaking, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not just a direct link necessarily where it's just like, God, I'm going to come to you and we're going to just work all these details out and we're just going to be okay. Sometimes this direct... The quickest way is really through someone else. Let me give you an example. Let's say that we leave here after, after we're done during our worship gathering time, and I'm in an incredible hurry, and I'm not paying attention, and as you're walking across the parking lot, I happen to back up rather fast, and I hit you with my truck, and you fall down. And I, I stop, and I go, oh my gosh, and I jump out, and I look to see uh, if there's a dent, and then immediately after that, I want to know if you're okay. <laughs> and I look down, and clearly, like, you, I mean, definitely you're hurt, right? So, like, you're bleeding, and you're, just, you're, you're, you're holding your arm, and you're just kind of, like, rolling. Imagine if I would stand there next to you and say, Heavenly Father, forgive me. For what I have done here. I am so sorry. I didn't see him there or her there. Please bless this person. Please provide for their needs. In Jesus' name. It's okay. We're good. Us, we're good. Be careful next time, right? Is that okay? Absolutely not. That is ridiculous and dumb. That's raka. That's straight up idiot stuff right there. Like, you know you don't do that. You, because I didn't run God over. 
I didn't hit him with my truck. I hit you with my truck. And so I've got to go down and say, okay, so let's, let's try to work this out. Come here, let me help you. Let me call the paramedics. Let's, what can we do with the insurance? And let's, let's try to take care of this. Because now this person laying on the ground has something against me. And so I've got to deal with that. Then, then once I deal with my brother and my sister, God says, then come and offer this gift, offer this sacrifice. It truly is that important. Verse 25, when you are on the way to court with your adversary, uh, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the, an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. If you refuse to forgive and reconcile in any way trying to attempt this and deal with what is going on, you may very well see that you're the one caught up in prison. It may not be a physical prison, but spiritually, emotionally, you are the one that is being wrecked. I'm willing to bet somebody that you're struggling with even right now may not even know that you have an issue with that person. And so you're not, you're not dealing with it so you're the one that is held captive. You're the one being tormented, not that person. The seed of anger, this is what's going on here. The seed of anger can lead to hate and oftentimes does and ends up where some sort of death is involved. In this case, people are killing each other, literally taking their life. And so in our situation today, we may not be taking somebody's life, but there's definitely something that is dying. You might just come to find out that there's something inside of you that's dying. So what does quickly mean? Right, that almost comes across as though it's somewhat subjective, where it's like quickly, well, I mean, I guess within the next month or so, I'll deal with that. Well, Titus told us that Ephesians chapter 4 reads, don't, let this, don't, let, uh, don't sin by letting your anger control you. You get to be angry. Isn't that great? You get to be angry. You get to actually even have something known as righteous anger. But we're not supposed to sin in our anger by letting our anger control us. How do we do that? By letting the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, this is one of those verses that we use a lot. And we probably don't even understand what it means. We take it so super literal that... Uh, Shelly and I were at a marriage conference last weekend, and this, this came up, and I was like, oh, I guess I never really thought of it quite like that. They were like, okay, so we're a good Christian couple, and we're arguing, and, and so we're not supposed to let the sun go down upon our anger, uh, so we had to figure this all out, and, and then they started thinking, but we started arguing after the sun went down. <laughs> right? And so, okay, I've got until the sun comes up and goes back down again, I guess. Quickly, really, just let's look at it more uh, understanding of uh, roughly about a 24-hour period. Keep short accounts, right? Like, do what you can to figure it out. Get to it. Don't hold on to it because then we, days turn into weeks and weeks into months. This is a pretty typical calendar. And then months into years. And then before you know it, you have built up such a callus with inside of you. Your heart is almost unable to make any changes whatsoever over something that was pretty silly now becomes a monumental task. So talking about quickly, why would you want to live with that stuff? 
for crying out loud, man. Why would you want to live with this stuff inside of you all the time, dealing with the anger and the bitterness? I've known people to, to have such incredible bitterness inside of them that they literally cannot be in the same room as that other person. And I get it. I get it. I've been there. But I just can't, I just can't allow myself to be in a place that if a certain person comes in the room, I fall apart. My life will not be controlled by somebody else. God gives me the commands to operate how I'm supposed to operate. Oh God, you don't understand. So-and-so showed up and I had to get out of there. I mean, how ignorant that even sounds, right? And I don't want to downplay or minimize your hurt or your pain. And if that, and if I did that, I apologize. I want you to understand the power that comes with the Holy Spirit of forgiveness, healing, and even possible reconciliation. If you don't believe it's possible, then maybe your God's been in a box way too long. Understanding that he does miracles even today in our lives, certainly in our world. And that's how you can live a holy life within just caring for even yourself. So if this commandment here is talking about possibly even protecting the sanctity of life, this next section is talking about the, protecting the sanctity of relationships. Here we're going to talk a little bit about the statement of um, teaching about adultery. So let's walk through this. This should be fun, huh? Marriage is the first relationship God ever established. In order to protect it, a commandment was placed uh, in order. This idea that this is such an important relationship that I want you to understand the severity of what's going on here. Here's the seventh commandment, verse 27. You have heard that the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. Yep, we got that. Ah, but I say, here is what the intent was. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I would imagine the crowd's a little quiet right now. I would imagine that they're probably looking at each other, but not really trying to look at each other, wondering if anybody else is in trouble in this moment. You see, the glance isn't what gets you. It's the gaze. Noticing is one thing. Intentionally seeking is a totally different story. Jesus says, it's not that you just do this action but that you play out an action inside of your heart. That's the issue. Self-righteousness, you can't do it. You can't come to God on your own. Man, how is that even possible? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we even begin to imagine so I'm sure that some of the guys were sitting around just kind of having a oh dang moment. Man, my thoughts really do matter. Adultery always begins with lust visually, right? So we talked about this, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. 
We talked about what this looks like when you have a glance and then you're like, oh man, uh, I'm gonna gaze now. You just be aware of that, especially gentlemen. This is the issue. It's one thing to be just kind of looking around and going, oh, I didn't mean to see that. It's another thing to be like, oh. And then sitting in that moment far too long. Seems silly, right? But it begins to infiltrate you. And before long, this individual is something, you're like, well, I can't have that person. That's not my wife. And so I'll just, I'll just look at things. And that's harmless, right? What am I really hurting? Fellas, you hurt your wife because you are putting her next to a standard of impossibility. You are taking your wife's raw footage and putting it next to Etsy, right? Pinterest. This glamorous thing you have in your head and you're trying to get her to live up to that. Stop it. I can help you with this. Let your wife be your wife. Let her with all of her imperfections be the spouse that God is creating her to be for you. It all starts on the inside. King David knows this all so well. He was minding his own business, and then Bathsheba was taking a shower or bath on a roof in the open, and he happened to see her and kept seeing her, which led to sin and another sin and a murder and more sin. It all starts with that glance. Not the issue yet until we're going all in. Verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. But it, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. This is figuratively speaking. And don't argue with me that you're going, well, this is straight up literal. Then you should look different than you do. <laughs> if you take it so literal. This is a moment where it's kind of like, oh, gross. That's the intent, right? That's the intent. This is a figurative to understand that in other translations to talk about like if you're right, if your right hand offends you, uh, cut it off. If your right eye offends you. So the right was considered the prominent, therefore better than. And even today we have a flavor of this where we have more right-handed desks or right-handed notebooks. Those of you that are left-handed, uh, you are awesome, wonderful people. In this culture, it was not viewed as a positive thing. So they were they viewed as your right hand or right eye was actually the best. So the idea here is even your strong eye or even your, your strong hand, get rid of it. What does that mean? There may be something in your life that's really precious to you, very, very valuable even, but because it's causing you to sin, you got to get rid of that. Could be a TV show you watch. It could be something that you're binge watching. 
man, I'm just like the next person. I just love watching a, a TV show that goes, remember before we'd have to like, we'd watch it for a week and then you'd have to wait a whole week to get it again. And they'd give you the preview previously on, right? And then you'd watch through that. And so now you can watch like five seasons and, and, and like back to back to back to back. I get it. When you flood yourself with such information, it's called flooding in psychology terms, you actually begin to, something changes, Watch yourself next time when you're watching a show and you begin to maybe even behave like one of the characters or act a certain way or say things you wouldn't normally say. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a place that you go to. Maybe it's a drive-through that you go through that you go because you know there's a certain someone there and it's harmless, right? I'm just there to get curly fries. No big deal. And yet it's somebody that you go to try to see Maybe that's not a place you should be going. Maybe it's a magazine subscription. Maybe it's games you play. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an emotional affair. Well, it's no big deal. We don't, we don't do anything physically. Like, I just enjoy being around this person. And, and they fill me up. And they build me up. And they do all these things. I get it. Not a place for you to be. Not a place for a man and a woman who are not married to spend all this time together. Gentlemen, if you have an issue, find a guy to talk to. Come talk to me. Ladies, I am not the guy for you. I'll sit down and we have one-on-ones from time to time. And I do that. I love doing that. Your ongoing discipleship training investment, you need a woman that is further along in their faith journey than you are. Someone that can come around you. Someone that can show you maybe places where you can learn and you can grow as well. And pray with you. Don't get caught up in the lie. Well, we're just friends. Before too long, it may not be as innocent as you think it is. So the point, anything, anything, even if it appears to be a good thing, needs to be gotten rid of so that your relationship with the Lord can be strong. So we talked about anger. Yay. We talked about adultery. And now in Matthew, it actually has a teaching on divorce. And I want to walk through this with us today to see what God actually says about this. I am well aware, well aware of how our culture looks at this. And I know that many even that are hearing this right now have walked through this themselves or know somebody who has. This is not a shaming moment. I just want to speak this truth. This is just a revealing of what God's word says. I cannot water it down and I cannot manipulate it because I'm afraid somebody will get mad at me. I will share what it shows and then you process through your life and through your relationship with the Lord uh, not being mad at me, (laughs) okay? I just want you to be aware that we are gonna work through this together. I have walked through this myself in our families. I have seen it. And so it is all around us. Let's walk through it together to see what God's word has to say and why Jesus might even bring this up. Ideally, formally, the Jews hated divorce. Interestingly enough, it was probably more on paper than anything. And yet, in Judaism, women had like no rights. They were considered things to be owned. If you didn't want her, you could get rid of her. 
And so the way that it works here, you had people that were interpreting this, which the the only way that the only place that we see this idea of divorce or any aspect of it is Deuteron in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24. So let's read through this passage and then we'll and then we'll talk about it. Verse 31. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Just give her the paper, send her on her way. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. They were getting divorced for all the wrong reasons. There was two different groups of, of rabbi that were interpreting this. You'd have more of a conservative, and then you'd have more of the liberal. And they're all getting their information as much as they can, right, from Deuteronomy chapter 24 as they're walking through this idea of divorce. Conservative rabbi keeps it pretty simple. Divorce if the wife has been unfaithful, which is this idea of being unclean. If you have been sexually unfaithful, then guess what? This is permissible. You can actually no longer be married to this person. And as conservative rabbi, okay, that's it. Interestingly enough, the liberal rabbi comes off a little different. More, more than anything like that, this idea of unclean was expanded to a different, different understanding. So if she were to oversalt your food, oversalting anything would be considered unclean. And if she oversalts your food, you can dismiss her. What? If the wife goes out into public with her head uncovered, she's unclean. You can write her off. If she talks to a man in public, it makes her unclean. You can divorce her, no problem. If she's a brawling woman, if she's a brawling woman, she's unclean. You can dismiss her. If that woman speaks bad about her husband's parents, right, talking bad about the in-laws, that's unclean. You're out of here, baby. So you can only imagine which rabbi, which group of rabbis would be more popular. Yeah, we definitely want to follow the law, but we really like that liberal guy. He makes a lot of sense. It gives you a lot of permission. That's different than making a lot of sense. And so Jesus is walking through here, and he's helping us understand the intent of it. The Bible gives two clear grounds for divorce. One, sexual immorality, Matthew chapter 5. And two, abandonment of an unbeliever, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't know that I have that in your notes. You can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and see for yourself, verse 15. Even in these two instances, though divorce is not required or even encouraged, please understand that, the most that can be said is that sexual immorality and abandonment are grounds, allowances, if you will, for divorce. Confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration are always a first steps. Information taken directly from familylife.com. You can go on to Family Life and get all kinds of resources that are they're associated with Moody Bible Institute. A lot of resources to help us understand these things. Divorce should only be viewed as a very 
last option. I know in our culture, if you go online right now, you can get it done for a for $124. I researched it for today's message, not because I'm interested in it. You can get it done, get it written up, you're out of there. And you can make up whatever reason you want. It doesn't matter. Just get it filed and get it done. Our culture does not view it as a very last resort. Are there any grounds for divorce beyond what the Bible explicitly says? Perhaps. But we must not presume upon the word of God. We must not try to force something into God's word because it makes us feel better. The most frequent additional grounds for divorce that people inquire about are understandable. Spousal abuse, emotional or physical child abuse, addiction to pornography, drug or alcohol use, imprisonment, and mismanagement of finances, such as through a gambling addiction, let's say. None of these can be claimed to be explicit biblical grounds for a divorce. That does not necessarily mean, though, that none of them are grounds for divorce, which God would approve of. For example, I cannot imagine that God's desire for a wife that is being abused or seeing the children being abused, that she's supposed to just hang in there. I will tell you, get out of the situation as fast as you can. Get safe, and then we'll talk about whatever next steps there are. Get safe first. Don't let anybody lie to you and say, well, it was just a bad day. Get safe, and then let's talk together. Let's walk through this together and see what needs to be done. Even in such a situation, time of separation with the goal of repentance and restoration should always be the ideal. Not necessarily immediately. Not necessarily immediately. Exactly the same with divorce. That should not necessarily, that should not be like our first go-to. Hey, I'm just out. I've had enough. I'm done. Without time, without investment, without any sort of guidance. So what are the biblical grounds? Let's just make sure that we're on the same page. Sexual immorality and abandonment. And we can talk through some of those things. I know it's hard. I know it's sticky thorny, if you will, and people are trying to gauge, are you on my side, are you on their side? I understand it's incredibly difficult. You need to know that divorce was not God's idea. Jesus is talking in uh, Matthew 19 to the Pharisees, and he explains the original understanding of marriage, what marriage is. And he begins to walk through some of this, and he says, uh, the Pharisees says, well, why did, why did Moses say that we could just give her a certificate of divorce? Jesus says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the very beginning, it was, has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. What he's saying is that you're spreading adultery everywhere. And you're not supposed to be so flippant with this. This is man's idea, man's concept, 
man's thought, not God's idea. So what do you do with it though? What do you do if, you've, if you know somebody that's considering divorce in the process of divorce or finalizing a divorce? What do we do? Pray for them. Simple, yet super powerful act. Just pray for them. Listen to them. Hear them out. Did you know that fix it is not a spiritual gift? My buddy Obi John tells me that all the time. You know, you know, fix it was a spiritual gift. It's not. You don't try to fix anybody. Pray for them. Listen to them. Ask good questions that can actually foster productive conversation. Consider, consider what you're going to say. Think slowly and biblically. Don't just word vomit on people. We say things all the time and they're not helpful. You're probably better off saying less rather than more. So just consider what you're saying and encourage them. Uplift rather than beat down. And don't tear down the spouse either. Uplift the person. Let's pray together. Avoid the common mistakes of trying to fix, trying to be all preachy, or blaming what's definitely all their fault or their fault. And don't try to rescue. There is a Savior, and it's not you, buddy. Point people to Jesus. Now, if you are the one going through tough marital struggles, here is what you can do. Pray and listen. Pray and listen. Ask God anything you want and listen for an answer. You get to do that. Ask God for whatever you want and listen. Doesn't mean you're going to get exactly what you think you need or what you want. But listen to what God has to say. Consider all options from a biblical perspective. There's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of, well, I woulds. What does God say? It keeps it balanced if we just take it back to God's word. And be encouraged. Because Jesus has overcome the world. He can guide you in this difficult time. Message me directly, and I'd be happy to walk through any conversation you have with regards to any of this. Extreme anger stuff going on that's leading to more, more trouble, adulterous behavior, or even this idea of ending a marriage or marital struggles. Let's talk. Let's talk it out and see what can be done. Sometimes it can be worked out. Sometimes the Lord does amazing things, and sometimes the relationships end. I don't know where you're going to be, but I know who wants to walk with you through it all. Following Jesus is different than you think. For this week, as a next step, if you get angry, which I can see angry, anger, selfishness can lead us to so many decisions into the future. Practice calming down. Just take a deep breath. You'd be amazed on what a good deep breath can do for you if you just... Just take a deep breath. Five of them, actually. <laughs> we call it blowing out the candles. We do this with our kids. Well, that's for kids. Well, it's for all of us because sometimes, frankly, we act like immature children. <laughs> so maybe this can help us too. Practice calming down. 
and see what the Lord can show you as you're clearing your mind. Next week, we'll finish Matthew chapter 5, and we will continue through the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for what it teaches. I pray wisdom in the name of Jesus over us even now. Guidance. I pray discernment. I pray that we will all be able to hear your word and receive your word. God, show me where I fall short. Reveal anything in me that is unclean that I would be able to repent. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for guiding us, even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen. On your way out, you're going to receive one of these uh, booklets here. This booklet actually has to do with our board of directors. We have two individuals that are nominees for the board of directors. Uh, this is not a vote. This is an information guide. We uh, at Community Life Church would like for you to be well aware of the individuals that could represent your voice on the board and the work that they do. And so we're going to we're introducing them to you on this on this card here. So grab one on your way out. One per family is really all that you need. And uh, and then you can read through this and be praying. All the instructions are in here for you as we move forward. And then in two weeks uh, we'll have an affirmation vote for these individuals. Will you please stand with me? Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Now, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Say it with me. Go and be the church.